This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We welcome you this hour to the Bible Line, and as always, we're so pleased to have many first-time listeners. If you are live streaming at WAGP.net, or if you are listening through 88.7 FM. We live stream around the world 24-7, and many times people have questions as they listen to broadcasting or there's a particular issue that they're studying in their personal life or a challenge in their church or ministry, and they want biblical counsel. If we can be of help by God's grace, we will be here today. All you need to do is pick up the phone, again, the local 843 exchange is 525-1859, 525-1859, or you can call us toll-free at 877, the call letters WAGP 980. When you call, we give preference to live callers and live dictation, uh, though we get scores of questions that come in through TBL, that stands for the Bible line at WAGP.net, and also through Search the Scriptures. If you don't have the phone app, I encourage you to download searchthescriptures.org. Um, uh, if you go to the App Store, and there's thousands of messages there, and there's a drop-down schedule where you can uh, ask Dr. Brogy a question, as it says. And when your question is answered, we will send you an email link um, I can't literally type out every question that I get. There's just too many uh, that come in, but I can speak a lot faster than I can type. I can speak about 700 words a minute with gusts up to a thousand. And so I can get a lot of questions done in that fashion. And in turn, uh, when the question is answered, we send you an email link. So again, uh, the 843 South Carolina Exchange is 525-1859. Uh, you know, we have a special guest with us today, and I want to introduce him. He's a, yeah, go ahead and bring him up. He's a personal friend. Good morning, Hanok. Nice to have you this morning. Uh, I don't quite hear him yet, so maybe he'll be here in a second. We may have a technical difficulty, but uh, we're supposed to have Hanok Taylor on the, uh, on the line. He's a rabbi in Jerusalem. He's lived there, if I remember, since the age of 18. In fact, I have a book in my hand. It's called Heroic Children, Untold Stories of the Unconquerable. And it's a, an incredible book uh, that basically tells the stories of true stories of, uh, of life experiences of uh, young men and women uh, during the time of the Holocaust and what they experienced. Dr. Lutzer, Erwin Lutzer, the pastor emeritus of Moody Church in Chicago, author of Hitler's Cross and Heard here on WAGP, writes of this book. In this captivating book, Rabbi Hanak Teller shares the story of children who in the midst of the Holocaust showed courage in the face of torture and hope in the midst of its uh, indescribable sorrow. If you find these stories too gut-wrenching to read, 
Remember, you are only reading the book. These children actually experienced it. Read this book to be informed and inspired and to determine that with God's help, this shall never happen again. Well, we seemingly have another disastrous event that is unfolding in the world today in Israel. Uh, It's been uh, a tragedy what has happened uh, it's just brutal, and uh, to I've asked Hanak Teller, uh, a friend of mine there in Jerusalem, uh, to speak with us. Hanak, good morning. Uh, you're calling from Jerusalem, is that correct? Yes, hello out there in Radio Land. Hey, great to have you, my friend. Um, our heart is just broken for the people of Israel. Uh, these brutal attacks by terrorists on innocent people, men, women, and children, has just, uh, it's just so sad. And we're praying for the people of Israel and for God's protection and God's victory. You know, the scripture teaches, if you're listening here to the Bible line, that God has ordained governments, one, to curb evil. No one wants to live in a country or in a city where there's no police or there's inadequate police or there's not a strong military defense because the scripture describes in Romans 13, police and armies as God's ministers to put up good and to put down evil. So Hanukkah, you've been in Jerusalem living there since what, the age of 18, if I remember? That's that's correct. Yeah, and, and, and um, Hanukkah is a, a, a rabbi there in Jerusalem. He and his uh, family uh, and sons, uh, they supervise a number of yeshivas. A yeshiva is what we would call, say, a seminary in this country, and a seminary in Jerusalem is uh, for women. Is that right? Do I have those terms correct? Yes, you generally, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way, but just a colloquial parlance is usually when we say seminary, we're referring to a school exclusively for women. Okay. So tell me, um, Saturday morning, it was Shabbat. Uh, the end of... Uh, and, and the holiday as well, a significant holiday. A significant holiday. What, what happened? What happened in your family? How did it unfold for you on that uh, morning? So already at uh, in Jerusalem, because it was a holiday, we don't use the telephone, we don't turn on the radio. So we, so we have only of knowing. So all we knew is all of a sudden out of something which is a rarity in Jerusalem, we heard the air siren blaring. Uh, this happened altogether six times. Mm. At one time, uh, which means that uh, there were missiles that were fired upon Jerusalem as well. At one point, I definitely heard the Iron Dome intercepting one, you know, we heard that thud. And in fact, uh, I, I was told that shrapnel fell and, and killed someone in Jerusalem mm. from, one, from one of the missiles. Oh, wow. Wow. And uh, what is the atmosphere like? I know, obviously, in the South, it's much more intense, but the whole nation... Um, is concerned and I'm well, sure has come together. Because on one hand, it's just absolutely awful. I, I don't know if your listeners are aware of the terror, the brutality, the bestiality of. Uh, and I would also encourage your your listeners not to. Uh, I don't know the world of social media. I, I really don't want to expose myself to that sewer. But uh, I don't think it's healthy for a person to see women being raped and children in cages and no. hostages begging to be released. I can't see what's productive from all of that, but they're enjoying having this on social media. And to get back to what's the mood in Israel, or certainly in Jerusalem, it's on the one hand a sense of terrible horror over what's happened, and 
you know, God is exacting tremendous punishment upon us. Yet, on the other hand, it is so heartening and emboldening to see how the country has come together. Uh, out my window, on my little alley where I live, they're just finishing up a whole group of young girls and women and other children. I had a couple of grandchildren there. Uh, we're packing up packages of carbohydrates and cookies for soldiers and other things, candies, that'll be sent, delivered down to the South tomorrow. Uh, this is countrywide. It's just really unbelievable how the whole country's come together and people are posting if, uh, you know, there was a draft of uh, the reserves. So, so far, 300,000 soldiers have been called up. Now they raised it to 360 or 380,000. Wow. Now, that's a person leaving the middle of his life. He, you know, he's got a wife, he's got a family. Uh, they're being called up. So people are babysitting and people are... Uh, we, we, we may have people... We have people coming to our house from the south now where they're still under a constant dynamic perpetual rocket assault, and people are taking strangers into their homes. Mm. And uh, it's done with a lot of love wow. and, and unity. Mm. Not well, to mention all these prayer groups that are arising, prayer groups and saying psalms. Well, we, we need prayer for Israel, and, uh, and I know we have thousands of listeners here at WAGP.net who... Uh, appreciate Israel. We are pro-Israel because God is pro-Israel. God has brought us a Savior uh, who's Jewish. He's given us our scriptures, uh, both the Tanakh and the New Testament, written by Jewish men. And we are grateful for the people of Israel. And we recognize, as we understand scripture, even from the Tanakh, that human history will culminate through the Jewish people when the Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom as promised. Um, I, I think of uh, Psalm uh, 123 at a time like this. Uh, God just reminds us that he is with us. He's enthroned on high in the heavens above, um, that he does not sleep or slumber. He watches over the people of Israel, and we're grateful for that. Hanak, um, do you feel like there's a lot of fear amongst the people at this point, having witnessed many, much of this terrorism uh, that's coming uh, on the television? and? Well, listen, this, this military, uh, this assault, the siege on Israel, started off terribly. I think the tables are turning now. There's a lot of confidence. It's not the first time this has happened. It happened 50 years ago in the Yom Kippur War, where there was, again, a surprise attack, and Israel was caught, pardon the expression, with their pants down, and uh, very unprepared, but Israel got itself together, and with God's help, was able to beat it back. Uh, this this nuisance, uh, nuisance is too mild a word, Hamas terrorists, what they can do to children, what they can do. And so really also I feel bad for their own people, mm. living under the, the whims of dictators that are tyrannical and despotic and totalitarian, dictatorial, and uh, everyone is suffering over there. And, and they obviously know if they're going to start off with Israel, what's going to happen. And, but they don't really care about that. They don't care about their own people. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Brogy, I already forgot your question. So no, sorry. no, yeah. I just wondered uh, if there's uh, if the nation is gripped with fear. fear. Yeah, uh, I mean, like this, it's a serious matter. Schools have not resumed. It's not an easy thing. You have a large family, and your kids are not in school. How are you supposed to go to work? Uh, and but the problem is, is that there's really no child care at this point because everyone has to be next to a uh, sealed to a bomb shelter, and uh, that impacts everything you do. You can't really get stores are closed unless they have bomb shelters right there. So you're, you're limited in what you can do. Uh, you, kids are in school, and I can't, can't go back to school yet. And uh, that, that really crimps the style of the family if the kids are home. And we just, because of Sukkot, we had a long vacation. And uh, so now the kids are home for quite a long time. Mm. 
or Rabbi Teller, most, most people in America have no uh, visual understanding of a bomb shelter and how that functions. Do you have one close to your residence there? Uh, every building, it's a law. Every building has to have a bomb shelter. And new apartments, I don't live in a new apartment. New apartments, they have also, it's the law that when you build an apartment, you have to have one room, which is uh, actually a bomb shelter within the apartment. It's also got to be done in a way that can be uh, sealed not just from rock, you know, with enforced concrete, but it's also got to be sealed because in case of chemical weapons, which we experienced or we were afraid of in the, in the Gulf War with Saddam Hussein. Mm. Wow. So it's got to be a sealed room, and it also has to be a, a bomb shelter. But in any event, we don't have that, but in every building there has to be a bomb shelter. It's not a very uh, uh, decorative place. It's just a straight room, a rectangle, and the whole building has to get in there very quickly and seal the door and uh, cower. Uh, until, until the all-clear siren goes. There are buildings where, because everything, is, real estate is always at a premium, where people use their bomb shelters and turn it into a lounge for youth, or they make it into a study room, or some places really make it nice. They put in, they say kids paint it very nicely and colorfully, but our building has not been that original. <laughs> right. So, so when the sirens went off uh, on Saturday, um, your whole family just immediately went down into the basement? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And is there like a bomb shelter leader and they wait for the last person to get in and they seal the door? I was just wondering the mechanics of it. Uh, well, most most people were awake because they were in synagogue. It was a holiday. Everybody was really out praying. So uh, there weren't that many. I prayed very early in the morning, so I was back already. So it was just a neighbor and my daughter and my wife. Now, there was, it was four people. And, and we're not that big a building, but it wasn't so many people. Right. As a matter of fact, because it's so rare in Jerusalem, the, the dom, bomb shelter was locked. So, And the person who, who had the key was away for the holiday. I mean, this is, a, this is a, an embarrassingly terrible situation, but now it's open and functional. And Anyways, there were six sirens on uh, Saturday, and we had one yesterday as well. Wow. But that, that's, again, we are blessed the poor people in the South, they're, they're having it all the time. Hmm. The indiscriminate fire of rockets and missiles that are deadly uh, being fired at them around the clock. That means there's no night, there's no day. All the time, you're just running to the bomb shelter, or you're living in the bomb shelter. Wow. And you're hearing the siren. The, the truth is, the wail of the siren is very scary. I mean, I'm sure the thought of, a, of an explosion is scarier yet, but uh, it's very effective, that, that wail of the siren. Get you to get you to move. Well, obviously, this this um, attack must have been planned for months for it to be so coordinated from the land, the sea, the air, with these parachutes coming in and paragliders. And um, are, are are people in Israel pointing the finger at the prime minister, or what does that look like? Uh, I'm not an expert in this, but it, there's no question this was a major failure of the intelligence. Uh, it's always the government which is going to have to take the blame. That's what happened after the Yom Kippur War, or Golda Meir. Uh, she, there was a, an inquiry, and she, uh, she resigned from office. I'm not seeing that happen so quickly over here, but uh, there's a sense that it was a tremendous failure, and uh, it shouldn't have happened. Obviously, it was the will of God, and... Uh, but right now, instead of people being so critical, there is criticism, but more people are really focusing on now, let's try and be together so we can uh, just beat this enemy, and uh, then after we'll, we'll settle scores. 
Well, it's a wicked enemy. Uh, one network described them as animals, and in my mind, these people don't even match up to most animals in the world. They're, they're, there's a brutality here that is just, well, it parallels the Holocaust. Uh, it's just, it's sad. Very, very sad. Anything that we can pray for you specifically about? Uh, me personally, no, just that, you know, God should come bring this to an end, and uh, those evil people should be just totally eliminated. Mm. We, we, you know, preferably want to eliminate evil, not evil people. But if people are perpetuating the evil, they have to be taken out of business, out of circulation. Uh, they're trying to murder us, and uh, what they're doing to their own people is, is catastrophic. My. Well, um, Hanak, I, you may not have been on the air. I was uh, telling people about your book, Heroic Children, and I read the endorsement from Dr. Erwin Lutzer in the back. Is that available on Amazon? It is a powerful read for, for many people. I think they would thoroughly enjoy it. How do they get this book? Uh, Amazon is one way of doing it. I guess if you were, I, I imagine if you just Google the book, then they'll probably bring it to Amazon. There's a distributor named Feltime. You can go to my website, hanachteller.com. Uh, thank you very much. It's, uh, I, I always tell the story. I don't want to keep you on now. No, go <laughs> ahead. It's too long, but... I, I'm, one of my greatest compliments about the book is that there's a colonel in Beaufort and the Marines who, because who, I spoke in your church, he got hold of the book, and he was very taken by it, and he doesn't send off his troops, he doesn't deploy them to it was Iraq and Afghanistan at the time, until they've read the heroic children. Oh, wow. Because it's emboldening. It is. Well, you know, the, the sad thing is, and I, I feel like they represent a minority you know there was 30 student groups at harvard who were demonstrating you know israel's use of force which is just beyond belief they're they're being indoctrinated in our colleges that you know the holocaust is really not all that bad your book of course gives vivid imagery of what it was really like they're being sold a bill of goods right down to modern day so-called palestinians um you know, and how uh, that they're in the right and Israel's in the wrong and that Israel are, are occupiers. And when I was actually uh, in Jerusalem a few weeks ago, and of course you, you spoke to our group for which we're so grateful, um, I was getting ready to go down into, I was in the old city of David and we were on our way down towards uh, Hezekiah's tunnel and I was giving it a little brief um, message before we entered in. And as it turns out, there was the... Uh, Israeli uh, park manager who happened to be listening in. And I just said to him, look, there are folks today who say that the Jewish people don't deserve to be on that land and that they took it over from the Canaanites. And I reminded the people that God said in Genesis uh, 15 that when the fullness of the iniquity of the Canaanites is brought in, uh, 400 years, then he would give them the land. So God patiently waited for a people that were wicked. And then he said, go in and destroy them. And it was really an act of mercy so that this ungodly, wicked, brutal line would not per be perpetuated uh, through generations to come, but that God gave the people Israel. The land of Israel belongs to Israel. And they are not occupiers, not when the God of the universe says this is their land and they have every right to defend it against such brutality. And uh, we, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the success of 
the armed forces and those who are engaged in in this uh, this whole battle. In fact, Hanak, I'm going to pray right now before we let you go. And our Father, I thank you for Hanak. I thank you for his um, his wife, his children, his grandchildren, and we pray your protection over the city of Jerusalem today and over Tel Aviv, and especially for the people in the south. We pray that you might give success to the Israeli troops as they, they go into the Gaza Strip and they have some very difficult combat situations. Give them success. Do what you've done in the past where your supernatural hand and touch are over those soldiers to give them uh, favor, to give them victory. We, we know that you hate evil and that you hate what is happening and the brutality that is happening to innocent uh, boys and girls and elderly people and, uh, and other people. And our heart breaks for that, but we thank, we're thankful that we can come to your throne of grace to find help in time of need. You said we don't have for the simple reason we don't ask, and so we're asking that you would accomplish your will and your plan. I ask it in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Hanak Taylor has been with us. Heroic children. It is a powerful read. And Hanak, you also have a, a podcast. Tell me a little bit about that before I let you go. Okay. I'm very proud also that my great friend Julie Snyder from your community, from your church, who gave the name Teller from Jerusalem. Uh, Teller from Jerusalem is a podcast that comes out biweekly. I mean, there's already 65 episodes from the past about the early struggle to build the state of Israel. A very interesting, remarkable heroism. Every story is interesting, intriguing, and I think inspiring. It's done in a cycle of four. Three, uh, there's three about the early struggle of the struggle to build the state of Israel. And then the fourth episode is about about character, not connected to Israel. Then we resume again, the story of Israel. It's 20 minutes on a good day. Sometimes it's 18 minutes. And uh, intriguing information. People who like history and like to know what's going on, it's hard to understand the present unless you understand the past. Mm. And uh, that's what we do in the podcast. Uh, my, some of my best listeners are from your church. I want to say one more thing is that I, I said... I'm getting off the podcast as much as I wish to promote it, but just like in Israel, people have been uniting together and doing everything they can to try and bolster the soldiers. There's a call-up, and it's just amazing how it was not, you know, people have other things to do with their lives. There was 100%. Everyone came immediately, mm. dropped everything and went, uh, but also uh, people from all over, all my friends all over the world are writing me emails and WhatsApps, and I got a lot from your church. Mm. Uh, Steve Gu- Gu- Guthrie wrote me today, and uh, you wrote me, and Josh, uh, and Josh Stone, uh, Pastor Stone. A lot of people from. Uh, you're such good people, good people. Thank you very much. Thank God that we have people like you. Well, we love you, it's my friend. It's very heartening in time like this, and you know, people, your friends are there for you. Amen. Amen. All right, Hanak, we'll 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 be in touch, and thank you for joining us today here on the Bible Line. God my bless pleasure. you. All right. Okay, bye bye. All right, Hanak Teller, uh, we're so glad that he was able to join us today. Well, let's go ahead and resume with questions that have come in, and there's a plethora of them, and let's go ahead and begin. All right, Pastor Carl, our first question uh, comes from Julie out of Savannah, Georgia. She writes, I was raised Catholic, but I have become a born-again believer. I've been asked a lot to do the weekend walk to Emmaus, almost as if it is a requirement or requirement to grow as a believer. What are your thoughts about the walk to Emmaus and should people be pushing other believers to do it? 
I don't think so. Uh, let me explain why. You know, the, the title is creative, and it's actually a good title. The Emmaus Walk, of course, Christ after uh, he was raised from the dead, met two of his disciples, uh, Cleopas, and we don't know who the other one was. Many speculated that it was his wife, um, but we don't know for sure. And he reminded them, "We are you so blind not to have read the scriptures that the scriptures said the Messiah must suffer, be buried and raised from the dead? And beginning uh, with uh, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, he opened them up and explained to them. My, I would have loved to have heard that sermon explained and demonstrated that he was indeed and is and forever will be uh, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. Um, with that said, so that the title is good, it actually came out of Roman Catholicism in Spain. They called it by a different name. Um, but with that said, uh, it came into the United States, and it's marketed under a number of denominations. The Catholics sometimes call it the Emmaus Walk, but largely that title has been used by Protestant groups, first and foremost, the United Methodist Church. And their statement of purpose is to uh, say they're, they're equipping people to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Um, take all the air out of the balloon. What does that mean? It means the social gospel. It means a salvation by works, not through the substitutionary atonement. You know, you ask the question, can anything come out good come out of the United Methodist Church? And as a general principle, I would say absolutely not. You say you're just being hard on them and divisive. No, because they officially, as an organization, uh, deny the infallibility and the inerrancy of the Scripture. They were one of the first Protestant denominations to do that. They do not have a single Methodist seminary. Uh, that is uh, funded by the denomination that believes in biblical infallibility, that every single word of the Bible is inspired. And this is why uh, they're in the midst of a major split. should have happened some years ago, except for the fact that the African Communion uh, protected uh, them from endorsing the homosexual lifestyle. Well, now they are formally involved in a split, and any church it's worth its, its, its moxie would, would split. And, and leave the denomination because of its liberalism. And let me just relate while we're on the subject, uh, United Methodist Church to Israel, uh, they are key promoters of the boycott, divest, sanction movement, BDS movement. And they officially came out and they declared that uh, retirement funds and five of Israel's largest banks were considered off limits. And who came back and praise them for that. The Palestinian National Committee did. So they're in bed with the Palestinians. They're against the Jews. Um, there was an anti-Semitic movement within the United Methodist Church. And so to be associated with the Emmaus Walk, I do not think is, is healthy. Uh, they, they encourage the participants, as I've spoken to people over the years who have been involved, to don't tell anyone what happened. Keep it a secret. We want to make it you know, a very, very special, dramatic time, and we don't want people to know what they're in for. Well, that should be enough to raise some red flags because there's nothing secret in the Christian faith. Uh, we, we go to the Scriptures that speak clearly and plainly. But the Scripture does teach that we're to separate from those who are in biblical error. Romans 16 comes to mind. Let me just turn there for a second. And I, and I think this would apply directly to your question because, again, and, and I would say I'm sure there's an exception to the rule, and there's some person who's out there listening to me today 
that, you know, are saying, Pastor Carl, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. Uh, Does that mean that every Emmaus weekend has been evil? No, I'm sure there's probably some born-again Christian somewhere who is trying to use it for good. But in their desire to use it for good, they were, in essence, endorsing uh, a denomination and other denominations that carry under the Emmaus Walk title. And it's also, I should say, packaged under a number of different titles, um, Trace Dios and all these different, the Disciples Walk, but the primary one is the uh, the walk on Emmaus or the Emmaus Road Walk and different nuances off of that. But when you are engaged with mainline denominations that are in favor of the homosexual lifestyle, in favor of transgenderism, in favor of the slaughter of little babies in the womb, uh, that should be enough for you. And again, these main lines are rooted in a denial of biblical infallibility. And so Paul says, now I urge you, brethren, I'm reading Romans 16, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. So there is a teaching, we call it the faith delivered once and for all, as Jude describes it. It's the body of truth that the apostles gave us Uh, And those who are contrary to it, you're to turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. And that's what we have happening. Just take the United Methodist Church that primarily waves the Emmaus Road flag. Uh, You have all these gay people, gay pastors performing gay marriages, and on and on and on it goes. Um, These people are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites, their own sinful ways. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And so then he goes on to say, I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. And that certainly has many applications, but contextually it's dealing with biblical doctrine. You guard your heart against those who are leading in a way that's contrary to biblical truth. So I would say to this new believer, no, uh, ignore your friends. If anything, do everything you can to begin to load yourself up on Scripture. If you're new to the faith, I might suggest to this caller uh, to go to search the Scriptures and listen to the basic discipleship series. That's going to ground you in the essentials of the faith, and that's what you need. You don't need some emotional weekend where they have you living on a schedule that leads to exhaustion, which can lead you to being easily manipulated. You want to go to a solid biblical teaching. This is not the only website. There's hundreds of them. But if you're looking for something, that's where I would direct you to. Good question. Let's go to the next. All right, 843-525-1859. Again, that is 843-525-1859. If you have a question for Pastor Crawl in today's Bible line, We have Alberto, who is live with us out of Savannah, Georgia. Good morning, Alberto. What is your question for Pastor Carl this morning? Yeah, um, I'm asking about, like, more or less, asking last week, uh, even the Quran, if he's after Christ, right, and Jesus said he'd be with me today in paradise, how do we know if he's a non-animal Christian or he's naturally been born again? So the same way applies to us. So does the pastor have the authority to say who's not a Christian who's not? Or the believer tells you who's not a Christian, who's not, you know, or, you know, if I can be serving the Lord for many years, then the pastor can say, well, I'm sorry, you're not a, you're not a child of God, because I saw a certain thing you did, you know, or sin or something, 
you know, or you, you accuse, or other ministers accuse all the time different ministers, you know, they say, oh, they're not really been born again, they're not saved after all the years, you know, they've been serving the Lord, they truly, they truly believe what God's Word says about salvation. So what do you think about that? Well, I think I'm following your question. Um, certainly, uh, a pastor cannot definitively say you're lost, but what he can say is that the New Testament gives you little assurance that you know Christ is your personal Savior. In the end, God alone is the judge, but there are judgments that are given to us from Holy Scripture, so we have a plumb line. So I'm not judging someone to say, well, your adultery is sin. And they come back and say, well, who are you to judge? And they'll often quote Matthew 7 out of context, uh, judge not lest you be judged. And, you know, their whole point is, is that as long as you're kind and loving, that there's all kinds of intimate relationships that can be sanctioned and believed and embraced when the Scripture would say no. Uh, but to say that there's one particular sin that someone could commit that would sever their salvation, if that's what you mean, that would certainly not be true because the Scripture warns, let him who thinks he stands be careful lest he fall. Why? Because no temptation is overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And so we have the potential, any individual, myself included, to commit any kind of sin. Now, we might think we don't, but that's within the fallen Adamic nature, things that you might consider disgusting. If you've fed the sin nature long enough, you might actually commit those things. And so the Scripture says to watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. But with that said, there are definitely lifestyles and directions that people have that the New Testament and the Old Testament would disqualify them from being a part of God's coming kingdom. Uh, for instance, in the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, he reminds us now the deeds of the flesh, of the sinful nature, are evident, and he lists them, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things, people who live this way, people who have this as the direction of their life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, if someone is engaged in a lifestyle of open, repugnant sin, the kind of sin that would invite, say, in a New Testament Bible-believing church, church discipline, then the Scripture would give little assurance. So for instance, in Ephesians 5, the next book over, it says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Again, the focus here is direction, not perfection, because then the exhortation is don't be partakers with them, meaning there's a possibility a Christian could fall into um, impurity or immorality. Uh, don't be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Uh, in one of the marks that someone is a child of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Same kind of exhortation that we just read from Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit so that you might not carry out the desires of the flesh. And here's what the flesh, the fallen sinful nature produces. 
So a Christian can commit any kind of sin. But again, it's not an issue of perfection. It's direction. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. His old life has passed away. All things have become new. And so, for instance, do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And so the function of deception is that folks who are deceived don't know they're deceived. That's what makes deception, deception. So Paul exhorts, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor revilers, nor swindlers, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you. So we see these folks as people for whom Christ died, who can be saved, who can be delivered into a new way of life. And that's the message of the new birth, that the new birth brings a new life and a change from the inside out. So um, your question came through a little garbled, but I hope that helps. Let's go ahead to the next one. All right, 843-525-1859. Again, that is 843-525-1859. Uh, we're going to stay with the phone lines, Pastor Carl. I believe we have Robert from Beaufort, South Carolina. Good morning, Robert. You are live with Pastor Carl. Go ahead, Robert. Good morning, Dr. Brogy. Thank yes. you for your service. Uh, well, thank you. Appreciate you calling. How can we be of help, Robert? Uh, I have a question that may seem kind of elementary in the light of the situations going on in the world today, but uh, and obviously I know the difference, but I wanted to just get some affirmation from you about the, the, the importance of the head knowledge of the gospel versus the heart knowledge of the gospel. Mm. No, it's a, it's, it's, it's a critical question, and I think one that maybe is not delved into enough and is often ignored. Uh, first, we need to define the gospel, uh, the articular use of the gospel I delivered to you as of first importance, the gospel. The word evangelion, gospel, just means good news, and it was used in a broad sense in the first century. If I were in the military, my good news might be, my gospel might be the war is over. If I were married, my gospel, my good news might be, we're going to have a baby. Uh, But the gospel, the articular use, is pointing specifically to what Paul defines in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3 as the death, burial, and the resurrection. I delivered to you as the first importance the gospel, that Christ died, how, according to the Scriptures. Why? Because Messiah was prophesied to come and to die, to be pierced through for our iniquities, to take upon himself the judgment our sin deserves, that he would be buried. But as Isaiah the prophet said in the 53rd chapter, his flesh would not undergo decay, he would be raised from the dead. And so the scripture, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, as we call it, speak of the old, uh, of the death, burial, and the resurrection. And that's important because Paul will say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So before you can believe something, you have to know what it is that you're being asked to believe in. And sadly, in the day that we live in, people are being asked to believe in something that's other than the gospel. And so instead of defining terms that were sinful, that our sin deserves death, and only death can satisfy an absolutely just, righteous, and holy God, uh, we have substituted the gospel with little phrases like, except Christ. Well, it's an interesting term found nowhere in the Bible. 
commit your life to Christ. An interesting term, it could have meaning if defined with the gospel, but found nowhere in the gospel, in the in the Bible. So people today to accept Christ is to what? Accept Jesus as an example to follow, to commit your life to Christ is what? To try to obey his commands? No, the scripture asks us to receive the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. So the gospel has to be defined, but it's possible to define the gospel where a person understands, and they don't have to know a whole lot, and you can still have a lot of wrong beliefs when you come to Christ, but you cannot be wrong that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based on the Scripture alone. And the Bible is clear on that. You have to see yourself as bankrupt, unable to save yourself, and you need someone who can redeem you namely Jesus through his death and resurrection who can make you a new person and forgive your sin and give you new life. Now, you can know those facts without actually having responded in the heart. And so, for instance, in the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, Jesus speaks of a man who goes out and he sows seed, and we're likened to doing that as Christians. We're to sow the seed, and the seed, the Scripture says, is the Word of God, and some Christians see so little fruit, so few conversions through their testimony because they sow so little seed. Remember, not all the seed is going to fall on good hearts, and so he warns us of of the seed that falls beside the road. And it is of such a nature, the heart, that the devil is given permission to take the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. There are some who have that kind of callousness. There are others who are on the rocky soil And those who hear, they receive the word with joy. So they hear, they have an intellectual understanding of the gospel. They even get emotional about it. They receive it with joy. But these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now, the naive would say, well, they were converted and they lost their salvation. But every time the word prosteo or believe is used in the New Testament, it's not always in reference to genuine conversion. James says the demons believe and tremble. In Acts 8, you have Simon the sorcerer who is said to believe, have believed, and he was convincing enough where they baptized him. But when the apostles meet him, they basically describe him as an unconverted person still in the uh, bitterness and of iniquity. He's, he's still lost. He believed with the head, but not with the heart. And so with the heart, man believes onto righteousness. So that's the decision of the will. But before you can decide in the will, intellectually, you must understand what the gospel is. And that's why I say we live in a day of cheap metaphors, where metaphors are presented in the place of the gospel. Just invite Jesus into your heart, and you'll become a Christian. That's actually found nowhere in the Bible, and that's only been popular lingo for about 75 years in the history of the church. The Bible nowhere says to invite Jesus into your heart. Now, a byproduct of conversion is that Christ comes into you, um, but that's a byproduct. That's not how you're converted. And so how do I know if my conversion is in the head only or if it's actually reached the heart? You can have an outward profession like in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, and I find it interesting that when Jesus uses the illustration that he, that he pulls up, 
He doesn't go for some ho-hum illustration, but for maybe the most dramatic kind of illustration we might think of. Um, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but the scripture says they'll not enter the kingdom of God. And he'll say that, uh, they'll say, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? You know, that is, we, we preached on your behalf. We cast out demons in your name, and we even did miracles in your name. And by the way, there's examples of all three in the scripture of unbelievers preaching in the name of the Lord, casting out demons in the name of the Lord, performing miracles in the name of the Lord, but by done by lost people. Satan is a great imitator, and he can deceive people. But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, and here's the word again, you who practice lawlessness. The key word here is practice, uh, direction. Um, and the, the, the life has fundamentally never been changed. So outwardly, they were jumping through all the religious hoops, but inwardly, they had not had the new birth from above that moved them from a lifestyle of sin into a lifestyle of wanting to, as we just read in Ephesians 5, to discern what it is that pleases the Lord and want to follow after those things. That's what the new birth does. And so what I find interesting in 1 John, the way John's first epistle ends, let me just turn there for just a moment, because again, this takes it out of the realm of head knowledge into heart knowledge. It's kind of a test, and Peter will say, uh, make sure, uh, test, well, P- Paul will say, test yourself to see if you be of the faith. Peter will say, make sure you're calling an election, you're choosing are, are certain that you really have the genuine item. And John will write this to them, um, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, because eternal life is not something we earn, it's something that's given to us. The gift of God is eternal life. And this life, he says, is in his Son, who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You're either saved or you're not. You can't be 50% saved or 90% saved. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. And then he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So here is the word pestuo accompanied with the word in. Um, And it describes a willful decision. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Whoever believes in me, John 6, 47, has eternal life. Um, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, a person asked me one day, well, do you think he was dealing with people who lacked assurance of salvation? Not at all. He's dealing with people who have a false assurance of salvation. So John is saying, in contradistinction to the pre-Gnostic teachers who were, you know, spreading a poison that was contrary to the Christian faith, that you could live in sin, for instance, and still call yourself righteous and and have no remorse. Um, And so he goes through a number of evidences. For instance, by this we know we've passed out of life into death. That is to say, paraphrase, we've had the new birth. Um, We love the brethren. So someone who doesn't love other born-again believers as a way of life doesn't have one of the evidences that John gives. So these things, and he highlights at least five, these things I've written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you can know that you have the genuine item, that your assurance is real and true, and it's not a false assurance like many on that day who will claim to know the Lord. Not 
to know that he exists. All men know that he exists. Even though they knew God, knew of his existence, they did not honor him as God, Romans 1. Uh, They refused to give thanks and praise, and so they ended up following their own inclinations instead of the living God. Anyway, I hope that helps. Um, What I might suggest to you, it's a great question, is to go to search the scriptures, click on the basic discipleship icon, and I have four or five lessons um, in the very first handout dealing with eternal security and assurance of salvation. And I go through some evidences for a genuine conversion that the New Testament gives. And so while our assurance is initially based on a finished work that we can't earn it, it's also based on a desire to openly identify with the Lord Jesus. It's also based on the fact that we have a new life that shows itself in the fruit of the Spirit. You will know them by their fruits, Jesus can say. Um, And there's the inner testimony, the Holy Spirit. So I go through some of those evidences that take it out of the intellectual realm into the willful realm. I often illustrate it like getting married. You can know in your mind that you love someone and want to marry them. You can know it emotionally, you're in love and you're married. But it's not until volitionally at a point in time where you say in covenant before God, for that's what marriage is, a covenant, you say, I will or I do, that in God's economy, you are married. And you can have some kind of a joyful experience and get all worked up and and understand intellectually the components of the gospel. But unless it reaches the heart, the volitional decision, then it's intellectual only. Good question. Let's go to the next. All right, Pastor, I believe we have time for one more question. This next one comes in as anonymous. They write, in your message, the white horse of deception from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, who is the branch? Well, they must be getting this passage uh, mixed up with something else. There's no mention of the branch in Revelation 6. In fact, there's no mention of the branch in all the book of Revelation. So I'm not sure what they're asking um, I know the message, I obviously preached it. Uh, uh, there's no branch in Revelation 6, 1 through 2, so I'm not sure what you're asking. Go ahead. All right. Uh, another one, Pastor Carl, from Carrie B. out of Ridgeland, South Carolina. Uh, they would like to know, does a Christian who has, who has chosen a gay lifestyle go to heaven? Uh, no. Uh, they are showing the marks that they are not converted. And this is important because, you know, Andy Stanley, who has now really shown himself as a full-blown false teacher, when I said that back in the 90s, I was criticized, and I was told I was jealous and this and that. I said, no, this guy is off, and with time, he has slowly shown himself uh, to be one who's contrary to biblical historical Christianity. And most recently, the conference that he held just two weeks ago in his church where he had two different men who were married to men who were the mainline speakers. And uh, he talks out of both sides of his mouth, and that's what smooth speakers do, false teachers do, as we just read from Romans 16. So on the one hand, you can say, well, the Bible defines marriage between a man and a woman. On the other hand, we have people in our church who can't sustain that kind of lifestyle, and they live together because they want closeness and a family kind of life. And and we embrace that because we don't draw lines but big circles. That's what false teachers do. Uh, they uh, is just read the book of Jude. Uh, they give you reasons why you can be involved, especially 
in greed and in sexual immorality. But this is why he said, or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he mentions fornicators. That's premarital sex. And there's a lot of people today we can dump on homosexuals, but let's talk about immoral heterosexuals who are living a lifestyle of of immoral uh, heterosexual sin. They're living together before they're married, and they think it's just fine. I just dealt with this in the last two days of someone who's living with a boyfriend, and they both profess to be Christians and to know the Lord, and they've been living together for a year. Don't be deceived. Um, he speaks of uh, adulterers. Adultery, moike, is extramarital sex. And there are people who are married who prey on women, and they live sometimes in secret, sometimes in open lifestyle of adultery, effeminate. It's a, it's a word that refers to a male prostitute, the passive partner in a homosexual relationship, nor homosexuals, nor the thieves, and, and goes on, and he says drunkards, you know, even drunkards. You know, we say, well, what he has is a disease. It's not a disease. Now, he may disease his body with alcohol, but drunkenness is not a disease. He can't help himself. It's a disease. No, it's a choice. These are willful decisions. Such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. God could not have been more clear. But again, there's a breath of hope. Such were some of you. God can save anyone. God can save the adulterer, the drunkard, the homosexual, the male prostitute. He can save anyone. He's in the business of calling sinners to himself. But if people aren't willing to acknowledge their sin as evil and wrong, they don't need a savior and we're giving them a deluded assurance that they know the Lord, that everything's fine, when they're actually on the broad road that is leading to destruction, and they need to change their mind. Metaneo is the verb for repent, or metanoia, the noun. And God calls us to, um, to repent, to change our mind about sin. That's why we need a Savior, because we need to be forgiven of things that are evil. Anyway, that's all the time we have today, but so glad you could join us for the Bible line. I hope you have a great day as you walk with Christ. And if you don't have a place to go tomorrow night, I want to encourage you as we are uh, in a course on basic discipleship. We meet at 630 at Community Bible Church. You can live stream us as well anywhere in the world. And uh, again, thank you for joining us today. Light 88.1.